Our sermon text is 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we don't have any sin, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is God's word. Amen. You can be seated. Our preschoolers can make their way out. Your teachers are at the door. Y'all can head on out. All right. If you're staying in the room here, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 John. If you're unsure where that is, it's toward the end of your Bible, so just get to the book of Revelation and go backwards a little bit. It's right after 2 Peter. We've got the letters of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. We are in uh, a sermon series looking verse by verse through the letter of 1 John, and today we're looking at verses 5 through 10. Now, a prominent theme that we're going to see kicked off here in verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1 that actually extends all the way into 1 John chapter 3 is the truth that God is light. You see, John is a masterful theologian. He is a masterful theologian. There was actually one uh, uh, ancient manuscript copy of the book of Revelation that we have, and it was titled The Revelation of John the Theologian. And so he had this nickname among some in the early church of John the Theologian. And if you read his gospel, it is the most theologically rich of the four gospels, and obviously Revelation is, and these letters are themselves. But he's a masterful theologian. This metaphor of light is used by John to not only describe who God is, but he uses this truth, this metaphor, to form a basis for the kind of faith and the kind of life that he will be calling his readers to embody all throughout, especially the first three chapters. And the first thing that this metaphor forms a basis for is fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. What, what is fellowship with God? What does it mean to be in fellowship with God or to have fellowship with God? He, he mentions it a couple times. He actually uh, talks about fellowship with God in verse 3. We mentioned it a little bit last week. He says, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship is a big theme in, in our verses today. Fellowship with God refers to our relational and spiritual proximity to God. It's, it's about how close or how far we are from God. And there are two ways that we can have fellowship with God. Two ways we can think about fellowship with God. First, there's objective fellowship. Objective fellowship. Now, this means that when we first believe in Jesus... On the basis of his grace, 
on the basis of our faith alone in him, we are welcomed into fellowship with God. We, we have community with him. We enter into his community. We are close to God because he draws near to us in Jesus. And nothing can change this reality. We, are, we have fellowship with God. We are his. We, we, we belong to him. It's objective. It's something that happens when we come to faith in Jesus. So there's a sense in which every Christian, without exception, all the time has fellowship with God. But then there's another way we can think about fellowship. There's subjective fellowship. So there's objective fellowship and then there's subjective fellowship. Now, subjective fellowship refers to spiritual closeness to God. So still on the basis of God's grace, but also on the basis of what we might call our own habits of grace, we draw near to God through things like Bible reading and prayer and church membership and, and so on. This is experienced in the heart. This is a kind of fellowship that we actually feel and experience as we have a true sense of God's presence with us or a deep inner embrace of his love. Have you ever experienced this before as a Christian? There, have there been times in your life where you just feel really close to God? You're reading his word or you're entering into times of prayer and you don't just know in your head that God is with you, but you feel him close to you. There's this joy that springs up in your heart that no circumstance in life can take away from you. It's, it's something that's really precious and there's this nearness and closeness that you feel with God. Now subjective fellowship comes and goes. We don't always feel this way. We don't always, we, we don't always feel the fellowship that, that we have with God. It's subjective and it looks different for each Christian in different seasons of life. Five years from now, you may be closer to God than you, than you feel today, but then five years after that, you may feel further away from God than you've ever felt in your life. It, it comes and it goes, it changes, it's subjective. So every single Christian, on the basis of their faith in Jesus, has fellowship with God. And every single Christian, without exception, has access to what we could call subjective fellowship with God, even though in a fallen world there will be times in our lives we are closer to God than at other times. Now, why is this important to talk about fellowship with God? Well, we were actually created to have fellowship with God. That's why we were created. We were created not because God was lonely and he needed a buddy, but, but God created people for the purpose of entering into fellowship with them, to, to be near them, to walk with them. You know, when God first created Adam and Eve, we read very early on in the book of Genesis that God actually walked with them in the garden. He walked with them. He was in and among them. Now, obviously, God is spirit. So, you know, it wasn't that he was walking, you know, on, on two legs or anything like that. He wasn't going for a stroll. It's a metaphor to, to uh, explain God's presence with his people in the garden. His presence with them is, was as real as a friend walking side by side. God created humanity to walk with him, to live for him, to live with him, and to fellowship with him. And, of course, we know the story. Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve break fellowship with God. Their relationship is severed, and the couple is then banished from God's presence, and they are no longer walking together. But then as we continue to read the Bible, especially if you've been on your Bible reading plan this year and you've been journeying through the Old Testament, 
we see that God continued to walk with his people. He led them out of Egypt. We're reading through Deuteronomy, selected readings through Deuteronomy in our services right now. And he led them out of Egypt in a pillar of fire. And then he dwelled with them in the tabernacle, in the temple. And then obviously, climactically, as we turn the pages to the New Testament, God manifests himself to his people in the coming of Jesus. And, and then, if, you, if we just turned a few pages over to the book of Revelation... We would see that the end of the story of the world is much like the beginning. In Revelation 21, we read that we weren't just created for fellowship. The goal of the gospel is fellowship. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, what? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is where all of history is heading. A God who rescues his people for the purpose of being with them. Fellowship is the goal of the gospel. So here's a question as we begin. Do you have fellowship with God today? What would you say this morning? Do you have objective fellowship with God? Meaning, are you at peace with God today? Or are you his enemy? Have you been reconciled to God? Have you received the gift of grace that is offered to you in Jesus? If not, today would be a great day for you to enter God's fellowship through faith in Jesus. But maybe you answer yes to that question. Do you have fellowship with God today? Yes, objectively I do. So now I want to ask you, Christian, do you have subjective fellowship with God today? Do you feel close to him today? Do you have an awareness of his presence with you? Is your heart captivated by him and with love for him? This morning we're going to explore this. We're going to be focusing on 1 John 1, 5 through 10 to primarily answer three questions to help us see how we can have both objective and subjective fellowship with God. Three questions. Question number one, if you're note takers, we have three questions. First question, who is God? Second question, what hinders fellowship with God? What keeps us from it? What keeps us from him? And third, what nurtures fellowship with God? What do we need in order to have it? So first, most important question, who's God in the first place? Second, what keeps us from having fellowship with him? And third, what do we need in order to have fellowship with him? What nurtures it? All right, question one, who is God? I love what John does here. As, as he begins to give us some of these conditional statements. We see early on that our fellowship with God is built on one all-encompassing truth about God. God is light. It almost feels like it's out of place. You've got these con conditional statements here that that contrast with one another, that are really beautifully laid out from verse 6 really all the way to verse 2 of chapter 2. And, and they're, really, they're really pretty to look at, they're, they're, they're nice to read. And you've got this statement here in verse 5 that 
at first glance doesn't seem to connect very much other than the fact that there are similar themes of light and darkness. But it's important that John begins here. He begins to talk about genuine fellowship with God by explaining who God is. And I love how he does it. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, what do we mean? What does John mean that God is light and there's no darkness in him whatsoever? Well, let's think for just a second about the purposes that light serves in the world. So just think about light. As as you think about a metaphor, we think about what, what it is itself, light. What does light do? Well, light gives sight. It enables vision. Light produces growth. Um, light it reveals beauty on the one hand what else does light reveal <laughs> ugliness you know on, on the other hand but it reveals what's there light exposes the blemishes it guides those who are traveling it, it warms the earth you know the sun light is a metaphor that's found in both the old testament and the new testament specifically to describe god god revealed himself if you remember back to the old testament to the people of Israel in a pillar of fire, guiding them, leading them to where they should go. God revealed himself to Moses, but how did he do that? How did he reveal himself to Moses? In a burning bush, light. When the tabernacle was actually built, God's presence, do you know how it was signaled that God was with the people, that God's presence was there? By fire in the golden lampstands, that was their purpose. If we turn to the Psalms, we read things like Psalm 27 that says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. And we read from Psalm 104 that the Lord is clothed with splendor and majesty, covering himself with what? Light. And then, of course, when we turn to the New Testament, Jesus himself takes on this metaphor. He applies it to himself. And Jesus says in John 8, I am the light of the world. And Jesus says in John 12, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And do you remember the transfiguration of Jesus? Okay, he goes up on this mountain and it's just this intense scene. And while he's up on this mountain, we read that the face of Jesus was like the sun and his clothes became white as light. What does Paul say about Jesus? He says in 1 Timothy 6, he calls Jesus the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone has immortality and who dwells in unapproachable light. You see, light primarily is a symbol for two things about God. His self-revelation, or we could call it, we could say communication, how he communicates himself, how he reveals himself, and his character. So light symbolizes what God reveals and who he is. And I love, I love this about God. God does reveal himself, which, by the way, is something we take for granted all the time. You, you do realize that God could exist and not reveal himself. Like, he doesn't have to reveal himself to us, but he chooses to. He does reveal himself to us. God is truth. There's abundant clarity with God. And that's what's amazing about this metaphor, too. God is light. And here's what this means. God reveals himself, and he has no hidden agenda. He's not keeping his hands behind his back, holding something out that he's going to reveal maybe later. God is who he is. 
He's not deceiving or tricking anyone about who he is. There are no surprises. There are no gotchas with God. He is light, which means that we don't have to filter out anything that he says or does. We can take him at his word. But God is light, which also talks about God's character. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. God always does what is right. And in him there is no darkness at all, meaning that in him there is no wrong thing. There is no sinful thing. He does no sin. He is both morally and intellectually pure. He is righteous in his character. He is just in his dealings. And John is making it abundantly clear by not only saying that God is light, but also saying there is no darkness in him at all. And if, if you read it in the original Greek, the phrase is actually written with a double negative. And so if you literally translate it, it goes something like this. In him there is no darkness, none. No darkness, none. Only light, only holiness, only purity. And if you remember, John is writing to a church that is currently groping around in the darkness. They're desperate for clarity about Jesus. They are desperate for assurance that they really do truly have eternal life. And what John offers them in this theological summary of who God is, is a basis for what they most need. The clarity and assurance they need is found in God himself. He says, you're confused, you're lost, you feel like you're in the darkness. God is light. He takes them right to the person of God himself. And a vision for how they should live is offered to them as well. God desires to walk with his people, to be in fellowship with him. And as we saw, this is the whole point of the Christian life. So the light of God's holiness reveals, on the one hand, the darkness in us. And then it also creates a need in our hearts for Jesus to come and cleanse us. And God's light shows us the only path to have true fellowship with this God of light. So who is God? God is light. Well, okay, so that's who God is. He desires to have fellowship with us. It's the whole point. He wants to be with us. What keeps us from it? John, he, he outlines a few problems that exist in the human heart that actually keep us from having fellowship or closeness with God. After describing who God is, John moves on in verse 6 to criticize those who would claim to have fellowship with God while in reality they're living in the darkness. And he tackles hypocrisy head on, revealing it as a serious danger. What he's essentially saying in these verses is, if you're walking in the darkness, it does not matter if you say all day long that, you're, that you dwell with God. We know it's not true because God is light. God is light. If you're dwelling with God, you will not be living in darkness. We need to see how dangerous hypocrisy is. This is what we read. If we say we have fellowship with him, this is verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And stay with me. He goes on a couple verses later. If you jump down to verse 8, and he says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
And then jump down one more time to verse 10. And he writes this. If we say we have not sinned, we're not only deceiving ourselves, but John says we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Okay. So in verse 6, John is talking about a person who claims to not just, not just be a Christian, not just be a Christian, the, the objective side of it's there, but probably the subjective is in view here too. This is a person who's saying, I'm very close to God. I'm close to God. I dwell with God. I walk with God. I, I'm a Christian. But in reality, they walk or live in the darkness. John's describing a person who is not who they say they are. This is a person trying to present a version of himself or herself before other people that's truer than their real self. They're playing make-believe. But don't you love this beautiful simplicity in John's logic? He says here, essentially, when you say you have fellowship with God, when you say you're not a sinner, but you actually live a life of sin, you actually do sin in your life. Your actions betray your words. You, you actually don't have fellowship with God. You're living a lie. That, that's what he's saying here. You can say all day long that you have fellowship with God, but if you don't actually have fellowship with God, your actions are going to find you out. We lie when we say we have fellowship with God while opposing his ways. Adam and Eve, they walked with God in the Garden of Eden. But they chose to dwell in the darkness rather than the light. They opposed his ways and lived according to their own. They tried to hide from God. They were not transparent. They were not straightforward. They were not honest. They were not open. They turned from him. So it didn't matter if they claimed to be close to God, to have fellowship with God. They truly were far from him. God is light. We cannot pull a fast one on him. We cannot hide in the light. This is why hypocrisy is so dangerous. And I want to I actually give you three reasons why hypocrisy is particularly dangerous and keeps us from fellowship with God. First, hypocrisy, pretending to be something we're not, leads us to believe the lies we're telling. That's why it's dangerous. You show up and you want to put on a face, you put on a mask. And you want people to see a version of you that you're happy with. But in reality, that's not who you are. That's dangerous because if that becomes a habit, you will start to believe the lie. You'll start to believe that the mask is your own face. If we develop habits of pretending that we're not as sinful as we really are, we may actually start to believe the lie that we're basically good people. And it may have been a long time since you've ever repented of a sin because you've convinced yourself, I'm okay. And if you were pressed on paper, you know the right answer, but you've convinced yourself of a lie that you're, you're basically good. If we develop habits of pretending to have fellowship with God, we may lose the ability to feel that we're actually far from him. You may not even be able to feel it anymore. You've been pretending for so long that you're so close to God that you don't even realize anymore that you're very far from him. This is what hypocrisy does. 
Second, so first, it leads us to believe the lies that we're telling. Second, hypocrisy leads us to forget or neglect our need for Jesus. And this is, this is serious. If you've convinced yourself that you have fellowship with God, even though you're walking in darkness, meaning that you're not living according to God's word, you are disobeying him, you've developed really unhealthy spiritual habits, but you claim and you convince yourself you have fellowship with God, you will no longer feel your need for the light of Christ to penetrate the darkness in which you're walking. You won't feel the need for that. If you feel like you're not a sinner, that you're basically a good person with just a few flaws, you will not feel your need to come to Christ for salvation. I mean, why does a clean person need cleansing? If you've convinced yourself of that. Hypocrisy is so dangerous. It keeps us from feeling our need for Jesus himself. It convinces us that we're good. It convinces us that our own righteousness is enough. But finally, and this is probably more common for most of us, and this would apply to people who are genuine Christians. Hypocrisy, by the way, is not just a danger for people who are not in Christ. Hypocrisy is a danger for Christians. If you're a genuine Christian, but you're pretending to be something you're not, you will not be close to God. That's, that's kind of the big point I'm making here. And here's, here's how I'll drive it home. The third danger is that hypocrisy numbs us to our distance from God. Where we actually have no clue where we are in relation to him. And we might not even care. And this happens in marriages all the time. All the time. You start to go through the motions of life as a married couple. You get into a rhythm as a couple, if you have kids, you get into a rhythm. As a family, you have your calendar. You check off the boxes. You know what you have to do every day. Your schedule is set. You're even around each other a lot. And, and you talk. But you're primarily talking about who's picking up who, when, what time you're supposed to go here or there. But you're not really close. You're still married. You're still legally married. Nothing changed that. You're still in the covenant of marriage. Nothing, nothing has changed that whatsoever. You're still married. But you're not close. You lack fellowship. Your affections have waned. Your intimacy has faded. On the surface, before other people, you claim fellowship with each other. But in reality... You're living in isolation. You're walking in darkness. You're not pursuing each other. And over time, here's what the pretending part of that does. Where out in public, you pretend like everything's good. But at home, you know it's not. And you get so used to the persona or the facade that you're putting on that that's what becomes comfortable to you. Over time, when a lack of fellowship becomes a habit, you start to grow numb to the growing distance. It bothers you at first. Man, we're not as close as we used to be. But over time, you just grow numb to it. And you stop trying. And sadly, there's usually only one way those marriages end. The same is true of your relationship with God. It's, it, it's the same thing. Maybe you're going through the motions right now. Maybe you go to church. Maybe, maybe you show up and you're, you're just not here. 
spiritually. You, you've checked out. But you're showing up because you know you're supposed to. Maybe you have other motivations for being here. You like the people here. You have good friendships. But in terms of your relationship with God, you've just checked out. Maybe you read your Bible occasionally. Maybe you meet with other Christians for Bible studies or life group. Or worse, maybe you're not doing any of those things regularly, but you're still pretending that you're really close to God. But in reality, your heart has grown cold to him. He's not in your mind that often. Your heart isn't captivated by him any longer. You've stopped caring. This is the effects hypocrisy has. When you're actually walking in darkness, hear the Apostle John clearly. It does not matter if you say you're walking with God. It doesn't matter. You can say that all day long. You can fool as many people as you want. You can convince as many people as you want. You need to hear this from John. You are not with God. You're not close to him. Now again, this could mean one of two things. On the one hand, it might actually mean that you're not really a Christian. I, I, that's, a, that's a possibility. However, more common among Christians is this other side, the subjective side, where you're pretending to be close to God, but you're really not close to him. You will not grow closer and closer to God in love, in devotion, in obedience, as long as you're dwelling in the darkness, even if you're pretending that you're in the light. That's his point. Walking in darkness will keep you far from God because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Walking in darkness will keep you from growing. Plants can't grow in the dark. People, Christians, cannot grow in the dark. But walking in darkness while pretending to have fellowship with God will keep you from ever even seeing your need to change through Jesus. And it will keep you from ever even feeling a desire to be close to God. Hypocrisy is dangerous, and it keeps us from fellowship with God. Okay, that's, that's a serious warning that John extends to us here in verses 6, 8, and 10. But in verse 7 and in verse 9, we have some deep promises that we need to latch onto here. We need to consider this final question, what nurtures fellowship with God? What keeps it going? What, what feeds it? How can we be close to God? Two things. Walking in the light nurtures fellowship with God, and the blood of Jesus nurtures fellowship with God. Those two things. Let's look at verse 7. What a beautiful verse. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then in verse 9 we read, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, John is contrasting two ways of life. Walking in the darkness versus walking in the light. Walking in the light, again, is a metaphor. It's a metaphor that's used to describe the Christian life. We are called to live our lives in the light of God. God has called us out of a domain of darkness, and he has transplanted us into his kingdom, which is a kingdom of glorious light. So if, if walking in the light 
is an expression of fellowship with God or a way that we can, we can enter into fellowship with God, then walking in the light simply means to walk according to God's ways. Live according to God's ways. Be with him where he is in the light. And so when we walk with God, we receive clarity about him and about ourselves, and then we start to line our lives up with his will. Walking in the light, then, essentially means to imitate and emulate God's character. Remember we talked about who God is in the first point? Who, who is God? God is light. What does that mean? Well, he reveals himself in abundant clarity, and he is holy. So, so what does that mean for us? Well, two things. Walking in the light means to pursue honesty. God is clear. He reveals himself. He, there are no hidden agendas. And, secondly, walking in the light is, means that we pursue holiness. God is light, which means that there's no darkness in him. He is pure. He is holy. He is righteous. So we pursue two things, honesty and holiness. Well, let's think about holiness first. Walking in the light is another way of saying, be holy as he is holy. If you want to be close to God and feel his presence and feel his joy and feel his love, you have no shot at experiencing that apart from a pursuit of holiness. No shot. You have no shot at, at, at experiencing this apart from pursuing an obedient life to God and his word. This is a pursuit of Christ-likeness in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. It means that we're not just supposed to know God's word, we're, we're meant to obey it. In the church, walking in the light means that we will love one another enough to not let each other just remain as we are. As we walk in the light together, we are lights to one another. We reveal sin. We call for repentance. We call for change. We hold one another accountable. We teach one another. We exhort one another. We spend time in the word together. Occasionally, we rebuke one another. We pursue a life of holiness. This is walking in the light. But second, walking in the light means that we pursue honesty. We've talked about that a lot today. We talk about it a lot at Trace. It's important. It's how we build a gospel culture. Walking in the light of God means that we live with clarity before God and before each other. We're honest about who we are and where we are in our walk with God. We confess our sins. We don't hide them. And in the church, walking in the light means that we'll love one another just as we are. So, so if holiness means in the church we love one another enough to not let each other stay where we are, that we, we, tr we strive to push one another toward Christ-likeness, honesty means that we love one another right where we are, that you don't have to pretend to be something you're not in order for me to love you. If you're struggling right now, please tell me you're struggling right now, and I will love you and receive you and show grace and mercy to you and help you right where you are. You don't have to pretend to be better than that. Fellowship can obviously be faked. We can pretend that we're more, we can pretend that we're better than we are, but we don't have to do that because God himself is light. And because of the gospel, the church should be the safest place in the world for you to be honest about the best and the worst parts of you. Because we don't have to pretend here. 
We don't have to pretend. We don't have to put on a show in order to belong in the community of a church. You, you don't have to earn love. I, I, Ray Ortland says this all over the place. I'm not even sure where it originated or where he first wrote it, but I've seen it in so many places. Ray Ortland says in the community of the church, we can either be known or impressive, but not both. Is that not powerful? We can be known, meaning that we will live with clarity and honesty before one another, not to pretend to be something we're not, or we can be impressive, which means there's going to have to be some pretending because none of us are actually that impressive. We, we all saw some of y'all's heads move right there. It's like, huh, hold up. Huh, yeah, just, give me five minutes after the service, I'll let you know. No, we need to pursue honesty before one another. We need to be known. We don't need to be impressive. And the gospel creates this possibility. When we pursue holiness and honesty together, when we walk in the light, our fellowship with God is both proven to be real and it's nurtured. It grows because our fellowship with one another is growing. It serves one another. That's why John just... he pushes the two together. If you have fellowship with God, that means you have fellowship with us. If you have fellowship with us, that means you have fellowship with God. There's a closeness with God that is possible when we live honestly and wholly before God and before one another. Now, there's one other aspect here. The blood of Jesus. So, how do we have fellowship with God? How is it nurtured? By living honestly before God and by pursuing holiness. We walk in the light. But there's one more thing here. How do we have fellowship with God? The blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here's a question. Calling you to live and calling myself to live a life of honesty and holiness is a high calling. That's not easy. And you may be thinking, if my fellowship or closeness with God depends on my own holiness and my own honesty, I'm in real trouble. <laughs> okay? And the first thing I would say to you is, that's a very honest thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> that, what, you're admitting that? That is so honest. Like, only a holy person would admit such a thing. So you're right on track. You probably have more fellowship with God than you realize. But, but I, I do hear you. If, if my fellowship with God depends on my pursuit of holiness and honesty, I'm scared that I'm not ever going to be close to God. What assurance can I actually have? Because if I'm relying on my own abilities to do that, I'm going to fail. The gospel. The gospel sets us free to be honest with God, others, and ourselves. The gospel empowers us to pursue holiness. The gospel is the only way we can walk in the light of God with one another without being overwhelmed by its brightness. The gospel enables us to walk in the light without fear. It's because of what the gospel is. It is the story of God's acceptance of those who have rejected him. God's pure and revealing light shines in our darkness, and we stand underneath it fully exposed in our sin and in our, all our blemishes. But instead of receiving the condemnation we deserve, 
What do we receive because of Jesus? The light shines, the darkness is cast away, and what's left is filth. And what do we receive? We're not swept away, we're cleansed. We receive cleansing. The blood of Jesus cleanses us of all sin. I love what John's doing in this passage. He's saying if we walk in the light of God, we will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. It's the light of God that drives us deeper and deeper into the gospel together. We can walk in the light without fear because as more sin is revealed by the light of God's holiness, more grace is bestowed through the cleansing blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus both cleanses us and changes us. It both empowers and beckons us to walk in the light, to live a life of holiness and honesty. And so every time we confess sin, whether corporately during our services or individually when we sin against one another, when we confess our sin, at the same time we are confessing Christ right back to each other. See, John knew and he knows that we will be tempted to stay in the darkness and pretend that we're doing just fine. So he says in, in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. When we depart the light, when we pretend that we, that we have no darkness left in our hearts, we won't come to him. But we have this amazing promise left for us here in verse 9. However, if we choose to walk in the light, this is how fellowship with God is open and possible. If we choose to walk in the light, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Walking in the light leads to cleansing because as our sins are revealed, we grow more and more dependent on Jesus. The effects of justification continue to play out and the power for sanctification just keeps rolling in. You see, Jesus' death and resurrection, it didn't just create a community of people who are just going to have to get used to each other. Jesus' death and resurrection made it possible for the worst of sinners to live together in harmony and love and peace and joy to enjoy fellowship together because the blood of Jesus, his death and resurrection, grants us first fellowship with God. And the pursuit of honesty and holiness are only valuable under the shed blood of Jesus. We have access to walk with God now, not because we've been really honest or we've been really holy. We've been really faithful. No. But because Jesus died for us, returning us to God's original purpose for us, that we would be with him. Do you want to have fellowship with God today? Both objectively and subjectively. If so, renounce your hypocrisy. Just take off the mask. Step into the light of God's holiness. See yourself for who you truly are. It's not easy to look in the mirror. And then turn to Jesus.
Rest in Jesus by trusting him today. He shed his blood to cleanse you of sin. And because Jesus died for you, God is faithful and just to forgive you and to wipe away the stain of sin from your heart. Then, based on that, keep walking in this light. Pursue a life of holiness and honesty and step into the warm embrace of God.